You have to believe that you are worth it before anybody mm -hmm. else is going to believe it. Welcome to The Sandbox with Justin Peters, connecting you to the ideas and tools to improve your life. Now let's go. Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Sandbox. I'm your host, Justin Peters. And my goal with this podcast is to be your introduction into self-improvement. And self-improvement can mean a lot of different things. It could mean improving your health, your relationship with money, strengthening the connection with your spouse, getting more out of your career. I believe whatever you want is within reach if you are willing to put in the time and effort. Speaking of getting more out of your career, that is the topic of my conversation today. In the most literal sense, we are talking all things negotiation with my guest today. My guest is the founder and CEO of Ask For It, which is a negotiation training and coaching business. She's spoken at organizations like The Wing, UN Women, Columbia University, and Facebook. She was a contributing writer at Forbes, where she wrote more than 75 posts. She has held titles like salary negotiation expert at Career Contessa, a negotiation and interview coach with The Muse, and a negotiation instructor at General Assembly. Her work has been highlighted in places like CNBC, Business Insider, and New York Magazine. On top of that, she is a mother of a soon-to-be two-year-old and expecting another daughter come August. This episode is dedicated to those that believe they deserve more, but don't have the skill set, or maybe more importantly, the confidence to ask for it. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Alexandra Dickinson. Hey, Alexandra, how are you doing? I'm great. How are you? Not too bad. Welcome into the sandbox. I am excited about our conversation today. Me too. Thank you so much for having me. So um, I believe you have a lot of tangible instruction for my listeners. Um, they just heard me give your bio and your background. And I have to admit, it's impressive. And I'm a little intimidated to be having a conversation with you today. I have a little <laughs> bit of imposter syndrome. And I thought maybe we could actually start there. Um, starting your own business, your own coaching business, I'm sure you've had a lot of similar times where you've questioned if you were qualified to be somewhere. So my first question to you is, do you remember a moment maybe either with um, your first workshop you hosted or paid speech or one of your first coaching clients where before it happened, you felt a little bit like an imposter? Oh my gosh. Yeah. What a good, what a good thing to talk about. I mean, we hear so much about imposter syndrome and it's like, to me, it's almost like I've I've read so much about this. I've heard so much about this that it's like, how could I even still have it now that I'm so aware of it? But <laughs> I mean, starting a business, I didn't really start the business uh, intentionally. I didn't start out thinking I'm going to run a business and charge people for my expertise. I started the business as a side project, just like a side hustle that I thought was interesting with a friend of mine. Um, because I was in a, a job where I was kind of bored and I was looking for a new challenge and I was interested in negotiating and, and actually to make a long story short, I was laid off unexpectedly in the course of starting up our first workshop. And so, yeah, I realized I didn't want to kind of 
I didn't want to do the same type of job I had been doing. And so it kind of morphed organically from side hustle to full hustle. Mm. And the very first workshop that we did, I, my background is communications and training. And my, um, my friend that I started the, the business with her background is in HR. And yet between the two of us, we were like, Oh, we're not qualified. We don't, we don't know anything. <laughs> So we have to get an outside expert to teach people how to negotiate. So we got um, a PhD student from Columbia to come and we felt like that was, you know, that was more, um, I mean, she got her MBA at Columbia. So it's, I got my master's at NYU. It's, it's not like we're not um, well-educated and, and qualified, but we had that feeling of, oh, but who, you know, who are we, who am I to be doing this? So mm. um, especially because, because of kind of the way that I started it morphed sort of organically, as I said, into something that turned into a bigger business and a bigger movement. But certainly the first the first few times out, it's like, oh, do I really know what I'm talking about? What if someone asked me a question that I don't have the answer to? I don't have a, you know, a, the, there aren't really credentials for being a negotiation expert. Um, I have a master's degree. Does that count? You know, it's always kind of just questioning yourself, anticipating what other people might question about you. And thinking about how to, how to preempt it, how to answer it. Um, and the thing that I found in terms of talking about my own background is the same advice that I give to people who are questioning themselves when it comes to asking for more. You have to believe that you are worth it before anybody mm -hmm. else is going to believe it. Mm -hmm. If you are questioning yourself, 100%, the person you're talking to is going to question you too. So you have to do the hard internal work first of deciding what it is that you think about yourself before you can sell it to anybody. Hmm. Is there any way somebody can expedite that process or is it really just gaining that self-confidence through repetitions or, you know, self-motivation? What, what is it that, or maybe how do you help your clients get over that hump? Yeah. I, I like your question of it, it. Can you fast track it? What a, <laughs> like a, um, what an American thing. I it, it is. It um, is for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like, yeah, I mean, I have some, some experience working in the, in FinTech also, and it's, it's like a very tech industry thing. Like how can we move faster? Always we want, you know, when it comes to what you think about yourself, there's no, um, you know, there's no like Veritas serum for the, mm. the Harry Potter nerds like me, right. <laughs> that, that someone's going to uh, be able to tell, truthfully, what it is that you feel in your heart. Nobody can do that for you. Nobody can, you know, you have to do that hard work yourself. Um, how long it takes you, I think, depends on kind of who you are as a person and what you think about yourself. But um, in terms of, you know, in terms of me feeling comfortable talking about my background or somebody talking about their achievements at work in terms of asking for a raise, it's really a similar process, I think, of looking to what evidence you have to show for yourself. So whether that's, you know, results against your goals or your metrics, however you're measured at work, you're performing against them well, or you've launched a new initiative, or you've onboarded new people, or you, you know, what, whatever, you know, lots of different things you can measure for different roles. But um, for me, over time, it was, oh, I've, I've, read these, you know, 10, 15, 20 books. I've synthesized this knowledge. I've brought my own different areas of my background to come together to help me talk about things in a way that I think helps people. And then 
after, over time it was, it's not that I think it helps people. It's, I know it helps people because that's the feedback mm. that I've received. I've worked, I've given this many talks. I've worked with this many individuals. These are the results that they're getting. And so it doesn't, it's not a question anymore, right? It's not, um, well, I think this works. I hope it works. It's, I know it works because I do it and I've taught people to do it and they do it and they get the results they're looking for. So whatever evidence you can show to yourself um, is a great place to start. And, mm. and the great news is that you're going to need that to convince somebody else too. So you're doing kind of two birds with one stone. Mm. Makes sense. Um, so after you battle with yourself and, and how you feel about yourself, I, I also think there's maybe this misconception that people believe that there's this, that negotiation is the zero sum game and that them negotiating for what they want is got to damage the relationship with the other person as well. Have you found this to be true? This is, yeah, it's such a common thing that people worry about because I think that, you know, a lot of the ideas we have about negotiating are like about, I don't know, some people think of like a used car salesman, kind of sleazy, mm -hmm. like driving a hard bargain or like, I'm going to win and you're going to lose. And, you know, that just doesn't feel good. And it's, you know, also not necessarily accurate. I mean, it can be certainly depending on the mindset of the person that you're talking to. Um, I like to hope and assume that most people are operating in good faith, especially in a professional setting. Mm -hmm. But that's also not always true. I mean, I've had that experience certainly myself and know lots of people that have too. But I, the kind of the mindset that I like to share with folks to approach from the beginning, you know, entering into any sort of conversation is about creative problem solving. I have something that I'm looking for. You have something that you're looking for. Can we find a creative way to work together so that it benefits both of us? So I, the creative problem solving mindset is really important to me. The other thing that's really, really important to me is the idea of bringing respect to everything that you do. And I mean that in both ways of, I'm sure there's more than two ways, but the two ways I'm thinking of, right? Respect for your counterpart, but also respect for yourself. So mm. you're not going to respect yourself at the end of the day if you roll over and like just, you know, take the first offer or um, don't stick up for yourself when you feel like, you know, something about your performance has been missed. Um, you need to show yourself that respect and you need to show respect to your counterpart that you are making a request that is based on evidence about your performance, evidence about the marketplace your unique skills and abilities and contributions. It's not like a number that you pulled out of a hat. It's really about what it is that you are bringing to the table. And therefore, based on your research, you're asking for X. Okay. So in someone's career, when is the best time for them to negotiate? Oh, all the time. From <laughs> the first job, from the internship, all, in the way, all, all the way up. From your mm. first internship, to your first job, to every job after that forever, okay. always. Mm. Um, and is it just a, a, a fact of having the skill sets or um, is there preparation involved in negotiation as well? Oh yeah, preparation, it, I mean, is, li is literally the key to success. I mean, with most things, I would say probably in this life, preparation mm -hmm. is the key to success, but for negotiating, certainly. I mean, it's not about um, like, saying like the magic words. I don't know what those might be. Um, but you have to be able to make a case for why you deserve more. Um, you, for, you have to be able to evaluate, you know, honestly to yourself, whether you do deserve more, because in some cases you might be really well paid for what you do. I don't, mm. you know, that happens, which is great when it does. 
Um, but for the most part, you know, there's usually, there's usually, um, you know, like a salary band or a salary range or, you know, there's usually room to give mm. in most so, cases. So, so how do you go about, uh, researching or figuring out what that salary range is? Yeah. So you're, you're not necessarily going to get perfect information about that, but what you're looking to do is evaluate your skill set within your marketplace. So the way that you would do that research partially is, you know, you want to look at the job description and the role and the level, and then you need to start, you can start online. I always like to say good research starts on the internet and completes in person, mm -hmm. because if you just look on Glassdoor and you're like, great, I did my research, I'm done. I spent five minutes on Glassdoor. Five minutes would be kind of a long time, I would think, actually. <laughs> um, you know, that's like, great a great starting place but it's not a it's not a complete picture um you know i don't know if you've ever heard this but people sometimes lie on the internet so oh, yeah oh yeah <laughs> um you know it's like that person could it's just especially depending you know if you have a, a job title that's like marketing manager you know that's a fairly easy thing to research because it's common but it's also so common that it could mean different things in different places you mm -hmm. know and if you don't have a job title that's super common you're, it's going to be harder for you to get kind of that critical mass that a site like Glassdoor, Payscale, Salary.com, there's like, you know, tons of them. Um, so I think those are great places to start to like get a ballpark. But then the advice I always like to give is you need to talk to at least half a dozen people in person, not necessarily at actually face to face, but on the phone, ideally, not over email, not over chat. I know it's like very, um, people don't like to do that these days, but uh -huh. bear with me. Um, I like to say three men and three women because we have gender pay gap, race pay gap. I mean, there's all different types of gaps. And so the more diversity you can bake into your research, the more information that you have and information is power. Particularly, make sure you get at least one white guy with, with all respect to white guys. Um, as we all know, they are typically, and yourself included, Justin, yep. white guys are typically at the top of the pay banned for any given anything anywhere mm -hmm. in the world. So mm -hmm. make sure you talk to at least one white guy and then, you know, get some other types of diversity into your research in terms of race, in terms of gender, because that helps you see, is there a guy? And by the way, if the guy that you talk to gives you something that's I'm making it up 10 grand higher than everybody else, obviously you would go with his number from <laughs> the benchmark because, mm -hmm. you know, somebody's getting paid that much for this job, right? Um, so I like to say, talk to three men and three women. And, you know, I have like a little script I like to share with people because it can be really awkward. People are like, you mean actually on the phone? Literally, like, yeah. what am I supposed to say? Um, yeah, even if you have to, even if you have to cold reach out to people on LinkedIn that you are like your second degree connections that would know about this role. So they're not just like random people. You have to ask people who would know mm -hmm. about this, this type of role. Somebody that's done this job recently, been promoted out of this job recently, hires for this role. You can think back to former mentors, former bosses, that sort of thing, alums that went to the same school as you. I mean, really, any little thing you have in common with people is a nice hook to be like, oh, I'm reaching out because we went to the same university. I'm doing research because I'm planning to negotiate. I think you have some information that could help me. Would you be willing to share your ballpark salary with me? Mm. Mm. That's literally, you're literally asking them to tell you how much they make. If that makes you uncomfortable, I get it. However, having, hearing that number from somebody on the phone 
Right. Also, like people are, you know, these days, no one's going to write that in an email because, you know, nothing you write on the uh, in an email is private forever. Um, So people are not going to answer you via email anyway. So you email them to say, can we talk on the phone for five minutes, literally five minutes, anytime that's good for you. Make it easy for them to say yes Mm -hmm. and ask them to tell you how much they make. If Mm -hmm. you are talking to somebody who is in a, a senior level who hires for this role or who is like a mentor type, then you know, if it's not relevant or appropriate to ask that person for their salary, because that's not the job that you're going for, that last sentence, you can just flip it to say, I'm thinking of asking for X. Does that sound reasonable to you? Mm. And you can get their reaction. Mm. So actually hearing from people is really powerful because it will convince you that you need to do this uncomfortable thing, which is advocate for yourself, I think in a, in a stronger way than, than anything else. And the other tool that it gives you is the ability to say, in your conversation. I didn't just take what I found on the internet as gospel. I went further and I spoke to half a dozen people in the industry. So I know this is the market rate. Mm. That's about, that's respectful. That's about evidence. That's about data. And that is really hard to refute. So I, you, you left us with a lot of really great tangibles um, in that answer there as well. Can you repeat how the instruction on how someone can reach out? Yeah. So I, first of all, it's important to make sure that you're asking somebody who would know about the salary for this type of role, right? So um, that's somebody who does this job now at a similar company, similar size stage, some, you know, somebody who has sort of that industry knowledge, or it could be somebody who's more of a mentor sponsor type, could be a former boss, um, somebody who hires for a role like this, or who would have worked with people at this level. So making sure you're asking the right types of folks that would know is important. And then you reach out to them and you say, I'm doing research because I'm planning to negotiate. Right. So I'm not, this is, there's a purpose to this. This Mm -hmm. isn't just me being nosy or curious. I'm doing Mm -hmm. research because I'm planning to negotiate, or it could be because I'm planning to ask for a raise, right? Whatever the case, I think you have some information that could help me. I think you specifically, right. I'm asking you, Justin, I'm not asking just any random person. I'm asking you because you know about this industry, because you've done a role like this. And I think you have some information that could help me. Would you be willing to share your ballpark salary with me? You're asking for a ballpark. You're not asking for, and that, that could mean that you would get an answer again, making this up like mid fifties, low seventies, low hundreds, high hundreds. You know, people, I mean, when you say ballpark, people can, it gives them room to, if they feel weird about it, they don't have to give you, I make $63,482 plus a <laughs> quarterly bonus of, I, I don't I'm just, I'm just making this up. You know what I mean? Um, so it, it gives people like a little wiggle room. The fourth optional sentence that I would say is also really great, especially if you're talking to somebody, especially like that, this is for like that second degree LinkedIn connection, somebody that you don't actually know very well. Um, you have something in common, but not, it's not a strong connection. Um, I'd be happy to follow up with you and let you know how my conversation turns out. Mm. That's the bait. <laughs> That's really, um, you know, very few times have I been turned down when I've asked. And you know what? If somebody says, no, I'm not comfortable or they don't respond to you, so what? Mm-hmm. Okay, ask somebody else. You know what I mean? The stakes are so low to ask for this information. And what it gives you is so much power that it's, it's really, I mean, if you're uncomfortable, I get it. It's awkward. But how much are you willing to pay to avoid an awkward conversation? Mm. Literally, how much? It's not a hypothetical question. Actually, how much are you willing to pay? Because if you go in blind, 
and you have no idea, or you, you know, you read one number on Glassdoor, it's like, versus the person that can say, I spoke to half a dozen people in the industry, so I know this is the market rate. These are the reasons why I'm asking to be at the top of the range. Here's my evidence about my performance. Mm. That's, that's a really compelling case that it's hard to say no to. Yeah, yeah, that's great advice. Um, and once we have some of these data points, we have a range, um, we, we are ready to negotiate the top of that range. How do you start that conversation with your manager regarding a pay increase? Well, you have to know kind of how the system works at your company and how big, I mean, there's like a million different things, right, that you can talk about in this in this case. But so you need to know, I mean, are you at a startup that has, you know, that's flush with, I don't know, friend, you know, seed funding, series A, series mm -hmm. D? Are you at a big, like old fashioned company that has performance reviews once a year? Is it, are you at a nonprofit? Are you, I mean, you know, so y you have to kind of know about, your organization and and what the system is some places have oh we do raises once a year we do performance ev evaluations once a quarter we you know so so what i would say to that is and i know this is not as satisfying of an answer but <laughs> is it depends on your organization you need to find out because i mean some places will do like year-end performance reviews and then they let you know what your raise is you know a couple months later and it's like, if you, if you miss the window to kind of, you, you may need to ask, I guess, I guess the thing that, that is important to know is you may need to ask well in advance of when you think you would actually get it. Right. Cause the, cause some places like the, some places separate performance discussions from pay altogether. And there's different reasons behind why, you know, somewhere would do that. Um, but you have to know what the cycle is for, for pay increases, because if you know you're going to find out about your raise in January and your performance review is December 15th, probably it's already been allotted to you. Whatever you're going to get, you know, there's a pot and you get some amount of it or whatever. And um, if you're if you were hoping for more, you might have needed to kind of get in front of that. Hmm. And then, how do you, if you have that meeting with your manager, whoever the person, the decision maker is, or whoever's going to advocate for you, um, how do you, how does someone practice for that conversation? What is the, what does the pre-work look like? Oh, that is a great question. I think practicing is the most important thing. Well, it's a tie, I guess, between between <laughs> getting your your evidence well in hand and practicing because. The tough thing about negotiating, especially at work, because right there's tons of other situations we negotiate in every day, but advocating for yourself at work, it can feel the stakes feel so much higher for obviously like a million reasons that are very obvious, but but also because we just don't do it very often, you know. Mm. It's, mm. I mean, maybe hopefully all your listeners are the type of people that ask for a raise every year like clockwork, but but not everybody does that. Some people never do it or some people do it only when they get a new job or, you know what I mean? It's like, we don't get that many chances to practice. So it feels really high stakes and it is high stakes because, you know, how much money you have determines, unfortunately, a lot of things about your life in, in mm. this day and age. So um, practicing is really important. I The way that I like to practice with people is. I mean, I, you, so you can like get, you, you could hire a professional like, like myself, for example, to, you know, role play with you. You can also ask a trusted anybody, parent, sibling, friend, partner, spouse, whatever, like, you know, call colleague, genuinely, what I would say to you is like, use your best judgment because mm -hmm. 
you know, that can be sticky. Former colleague might be great, right? Um, anyway, pick a person that you really trust and say, would you spend half an hour practicing with me? And really what you want to do is get, you want to be prepared to make your pitch to that person, get their feedback. You want to honestly look inside and think to yourself, what are the holes in my argument? What is my boss going to say? What, mm. what do I not fully believe that I can't sell? Right. Back to what we talked about at the beginning. Um, you need to, you know, I would write down the questions that you most hope do not come up. <laughs> give those to your, give those to your friend or practicing partner and say, can we talk through how to answer these questions? Because if you prepare for the worst and hope for the best, you know, you're in a pretty good situation. Mm. Mm. That totally makes sense. And is there common questions that people need to think through on that? Like maybe this is my my first time negotiating um, and I've looked at my argument and I'm not entirely sure what the holes might be. What what could be some probing questions to either figure out those holes or some common questions or arguments that that, uh, uh, the manager might have? Yeah, I guess the first thing I would say, my first reaction to that is that I would, I would, caution you against using the word argument um even in the way that you talk about it to yourself because i know what you mean obviously yep you, you know you're, you're thinking about like making an argument like um i don't know like a lawyer a case. On TV yeah, or yeah, something. Yeah. right yeah yeah um but obviously that word has multiple kind of meanings and one meaning of argument is uh, to you know argumentative and, and really negative and again going back to the creative problem solving mindset that we talked about in the beginning I really encourage you to genuinely try to put that creative thinking cap on and think about from your boss's perspective, how is it that you are valuable to the team? What is it that you are uniquely? So the way I like to talk about evidence Mm -hmm. is evidence about your performance, evidence from the marketplace and your superpowers or your unique strengths and contributions that are, that are just special to you. Um, being able to articulate those things and talk about them helps it be, it's not argumentative. It's not me against you. It's not, I'm going to win and you're going to lose. It's not, I want the biggest piece of the pie compared to all my colleagues. It's, I'm asking to be recognized for the contributions that I am making. So I would really just think, you know, put, put your boss's point of view on, think about, it's not about other people right? It is about you. I think the only, the best case that you can make is the one that's about your performance. It's not about, well, so-and-so I heard so-and-so got X, mm. right? Um, that we can talk about that separately. Cause I think there are valuable things to know about, you know, people have, people always have questions about, well, I heard this, what should I do? We could talk about that separately, but the case that you're making to your manager is really about your contributions and your strengths. And it's not about what you will do, but what you have done. So you just need to get clear on that. As, as many metrics as you can put, I increased this by 5%. I cut costs by this. What, you know, what, again, even if you do, like in my background is communications, right? I've done like internal employee communications. What is measurable about that? Well, it could be I launched this newsletter that didn't exist before I created something new. It could be I increased our open rates from X to Y percent, whatever. So just like thinking creatively about what you can measure and how you can talk about it. And making your best case based on your performance is really, I think, the strongest the strongest thing that you can do for yourself. 
Hmm, that's interesting. Was is there um, through your career um, when you're working for somebody? Did you have a process where you recorded some of your biggest wins or some of the metrics that you're talking about? Oh yeah, actually, that's that's um, a really useful thing. So I, I, I still do this even though now I work for myself. Um, I instead of making a to do list, I make a. <laughs> It's a little cheesy. Bear with me. I call it a to-done list. Oh. Uh, people love making lists and checking things off. I like to add things to my list, actually. Mm. And so I like I just use an Evernote, and I have one like for every week. And every time I do something that like moves the needle in some way, so I like finished this document. I reached out to this person. Whatever, whatever it is, I just write. I just like write a bullet point. Literally like six words. It mm. does. It takes less than no time. Just every time I complete a task, not like any little task, but a task that has some significance to it, I put it on my to-done list. And then on Friday, I take two minutes and I look back at my list for the week and I highlight the things that were most, that most moved the needle for me this week that Mm. I felt like were my biggest accomplishments. And then I have my highlights of the week. Mm. And if I was working for somebody else, that would be a great thing to be able to look back on at the end of the quarter or the half or however you're measured. to say, because I don't know about you, but I, if the years before I discovered this tactic, I would go into a performance review and be like, uh, <clears throat> yeah, I've, I've done some stuff. <laughs> I think it was good. I don't know. It's like, yes. I just forget immediately. Um, so I, um, and now that I work for myself, I, you know, it's helpful for me to be able to look and see, oh, here's how I've been spending my time. Here's what I've been focusing on. Here's what I've been avoiding, whatever. So that that's like how I like to do it. You know, setting goals and then tracking against them is a really powerful way to be able to say to your manager when it comes time to ask for a raise or your review or something, well, I, you know, increased this by X percent or whatever. I'm giving very vague examples, but it, it, it depends on what you do, but, but you know what I'm saying, right? Yep. Yeah, no, this is, uh, I asked selfishly for myself on that question because I have gone through, uh, you know, the annual cycle at the end of the year, you advocate for yourself and based off of that, um, you're, perfor- you're, you're allotted a certain amount of the pool of money that your managers has. But yeah, I've been that in that case where it's like, uh, I can only recall what I've done the last two months. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, that's kind of like the, the Regency effect, like that right there, right in front of me. And then I'm like yeah. flipping back through my calendar, like what big events did I have? What? Did I... And so that took me twice. I did that. And then I was like, okay, I need to start writing down all the major accomplishments I have a lot just for myself as well. So I could look back yeah. on my week and be like, man, I have accomplished a lot of things. And it mm-hmm. took that conversation away from, I feel like I've really contributed to this is how I've contributed. So Exactly. Exactly. So um, moving out of negotiating with inside your current role and more so moving into the job process, moving into a new role, um, mm-hmm. I've always been curious how you advise someone to handle the question if it's legal uh, in the state that they're in, obviously. How do you advise someone to handle the question, how much do you make? Right. Yeah. So salary history in some states, including New York, where I live and Massachusetts, California, um, some cities have it like cities within um, like I think Philadelphia within Pennsylvania. But anyway, you know, these things change frequently. So Google for wherever you live. Um, Some places have salary history protection in place, meaning it's not legal to be asked about what you make now or what you made at a previous job. The reason for that, obviously, is that it helps reduce 
you know, discrimination, basically people who are historically underpaid to say, oh, I was making, again, making up numbers. I, I was making 60 at this job. The new place might say, okay, well, I'm offering you 63 and that's an increase and you should be happy with that versus the mm. market rate for this job is actually 75, you know? Um, so if you live in a place that has that protection, that is great news. And if you don't live in a place that has that protection, I still strongly advise you not to answer that question, you know, just for all the same reasons. Um, and I, you know, I would advise people to just pivot the question from salary history to salary expectations. Mm. And so you can literally say, I mean, I, you can literally say, I'd be happy to talk about my expectations for the role, but this is a new, a new role, a new company, a different industry, like whatever, whatever, whatever's different from that job to this job, different X. And so I'd like to talk about my expectations for the role based on my research and just Mm. flip it to talk about what you're expecting versus what you made. And if somebody says point blank, yes, but I need to know how much were you making you, you know, what I would advise you to say is if we get to a stage where you're doing a background check for an offer, I'd be happy to, you know, submit that information. Yeah, that makes sense. And um, when you get to the stage of starting to discuss your salary, you've done the dance, you like what you hear, hopefully they like what they hear, and you're going to start getting more tangible with an, with an offer. Conventional wisdom says um, to hold out on giving the number first um, for negotiation reasons. Do you agree with that? No, not at all. Um, mm. I, I would say that the reason, and that was certainly like what I was taught and yeah. what I did for a long time was, oh, never put the number out first because if you put the number out first, here's he, here's what's going to happen. Uh, as if, you know, <laughs> I, I, this person could like predict the future for me. Um, <clears throat> if you hit the nose right on the head and you ask for what they were going to offer you, well, you might have left money on the table. And if you undershoot, well, then you left money on the table. And if you overshoot, oh my god what's gonna happen and now we're back in like the hypothetical like what's gonna happen well what's gonna happen is if you've done your research and you ask for something that's on the high side of the range and maybe too high for this particular role at this particular organization at this particular moment in time and they like you and you've gotten to this stage most likely what's gonna happen is they'll say that's more than we can offer but how about x Mm. (laughs) and then you'll have the conversation so I mean, it's dangerous if you're picking a number out of a hat and you have no idea. And I mean, I've been there too. I, I've <laughs> tried like all manner of different things to various degrees of success. Um, but, you know, if you have no idea how much this job pays, well, let me break that down. If you have no idea how much this job pays because you haven't done any research, that's on you. <laughs> you need to sort that out. We've already talked about that. If you have no idea how much this job pays because it is, a startup with six employees and you have no idea what you're going to be doing, much less any way to bench. That's the time. If there's genuinely no way for you to find out, I'm not talking about, you're going to be an analyst at JP Morgan where there's been a hundred million analysts before you. I'm talking about, I'm joining a startup that started three months ago. I'm willing to take the risk, whatever. I'm going to do everything, learn everything. And I'm going to take, you know, all the stock options and no salary or whatever, you know, that's a situation where you could let them make you the first offer because there's just no way to know. There's no way to benchmark. Okay. You don't know what their funding is. It's all private. What, you know, you're in that kind of situation. Let them make you the first offer. You're getting a conventional job at a more conventional place. Excuse me. It's really in your interest to do the research and put the number out there first, because what you're doing is saying, I'm inviting you to come play in my ballpark <laughs> versus mm-hmm. you going to play at their ballpark. So if you're, you know, looking at a role that's, again, making stuff up, I don't know, 
between 70 and 85, let's say, and you ask for 87, you're setting expectations that you want to be at the high end of the range that versus letting them make you the first offer. What did I say? 70 to 85, right? They might offer yep. you 72, right? Versus, and I'm not saying that you're going to get 87 because you asked for 87. You might, but you might get 75 and they were going to offer you 72. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so you're bumping it up in that way. You know, it's really hard to get good candidates and it's like people underestimate how much they are wanted by the time they get to an offer stage. Yes, there's lots of other people that could do your job, but the company has to then go out and find one and they were busy spending all their time with you. So they would rather close the deal with you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and when I was researching you, whenever I heard you speaking on this, it was such a light bulb moment for me because I had been taught the opposite way of the conventional wisdom hold out until mm-hmm. they give a number. Um, but being on the flip side, doing some hiring, um, it, it just it, it totally resonated with me because I've been in that situation where we've discussed a candidate. We've already thought about them in a certain role. We've we pictured them doing these certain mm-hmm. things. There's so much sunk cost involved in these uh, our process and they come back and they hit us with, you know, I want to be here. And we're just like, oh, that's a little outside our range. But we quickly go like, okay, how can we get them on board? Not let's push them out of the side and, and let's go to number two right away. So exactly, exactly. Mm. Once you see the other side of it, and I, I've worked with, um, you know, an HR tech company that is all about hiring and have some, you know, secret inside uh, info too about like kind of what the process is like, or you not it's not secret necessarily, but it's, yeah. it's just like everybody thinks from their own perspective first and that's just human nature and that's normal. Mm -hmm. So you're like, Oh my gosh, I really want to get this job. I really, you know, I, and it could be like, this is my best option. It could be, I have no other options. Like whatever, you know, whatever your situation is, is what's taking up the forefront of your mind versus if you are able to think from your counterparts point of view, well, you might be the only candidate that they have. (laughs) You don't know. I mean, you know, so it's just, it's really powerful to, develop that empathy muscle to step into someone else's perspective and think what they might be going through Mm. um in all for all facets of life I would say but also for negotiating too (laughs) because if you can think from their perspective and understand what their worries are what their hot buttons are what what their hopes are what their aspirations are right what your boss is going to have to turn around and make the case to their boss put the words in their mouth that you want them to repeat about you. Mm-hmm. You know, the more that you can understand your manager, think from their point of view and, you know, give them the information that's going to help you get what you're looking for, the better position you can put yourself in. Totally. Totally. And this might be an appropriate time to discuss a framework, um, this wish want walk, uh, framework that you've talked about. Can you explain that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Wish, want, walk is, and you have some sales in your background, I think. So I don't know yep. if you're familiar with it from a sales perspective, but that's common, I think, in, the, in that way. So when you're thinking about how much you want to ask for, again, I'm, I'm just using our made up range of 70 to 85, let's say, you're, I think people, if you think of a number at all that you hope to make, it's like, oh my gosh, well, I really hope I can make at least, you know, 73, because then I can, pay off my student loans and pay, pay my rent and this and that, and, you know, what all the different priorities that, that anybody might have. Um, and they're just focused on one number and, you know, you can set yourself up for more success if you actually have three numbers and that's the wish want walk framework. And it's pretty simple. Your wish 
is a high specific number, right? And I threw out the example of 87 earlier in a range that was 70 to 85. So your wish in this in that example could be 87, right? Your wish is a high specific number that is your starting off point because I'm hoping that you're gonna make the first offer unless you're in a truly unique situation where you have no ability to find out how much this job might pay. I encourage people to make the first offer. And your wish is the high number that you start out at, leaving yourself some room to negotiate, right? You may not, you just because you asked for it doesn't mean you're gonna get it. Asking ain't getting, right? You, you have to make a case, they have to have the budget. It's a, it's a, whole, it's a whole dance, as you said. So. Your want is the target, the number that you are genuinely, truly would be thrilled to get. So that's not the same as I'll, I'll, I need at least 73. I'll take, you know, I, I can do it at 73. It's, I would be thrilled to be making 80. I would be absolutely thrilled. That would be amazing. That would be great. That would open up new possibilities for my life, whatever, right? So your want could be 80 and your walk your walk in this scenario is probably the 73, right? Because that is the point at which this I'm indifferent to taking this deal. It's, it doesn't leave me in a better or worse position. Maybe it's I'm making 73 now and I need to be making, I need to, you know, on, on lots of levels, you might say, well, I need to be making at least the same amount. Mm. So, um, because you know, this is what my expenses are. These are my goals are, this is, I don't want to take a step backwards, just psychologically, whatever. Right. The walkaway point is the point at which the deal is no longer really good for you. So that means if you can't get at least 73, then this is not going to work for you. That doesn't necessarily mean, okay, I decline. I mean, ultimately, if you can't get past 73, it might mean that you decline, but it might mean, right, that if they offer you 70, you say, oh, thank you so much for that offer. I'm so excited about this role for X, Y, and Z reasons. I'm really hoping that we can get to at least 73. Do you think there's a way that we could do that? Mm. Right. So, you know, if you don't, the, the thing about the walkaway number that terrifies people is like, oh my God, what's going to happen if I don't get it? So, like, let's answer that question. What's going to happen yeah. if you don't get it? Either you are going to ask them to meet you at that number, or maybe you're going to decline because it's not the right thing for you because they can only get you to 70. You're really hoping for 80. You're going to be resentful and overworked in six months and miserable and wishing that you had made a different choice. I think, you know, the wish won't walk framework, it applies to raises too. And in a current job scenario, and people say, well, what does that mean? I, I'm hoping for a 5% raise and if I don't get it, I quit. No, it doesn't mean I quit today. It means I need to know, if not now, when, what would I need to do? Okay, I'm looking for a 5% raise, not not this cycle. Okay, what the next cycle is in six months. Okay, what would you need to see from me in order to qualify for a 5% raise in six months? X, Y, and Z. These are the goals. Like Write it in an email. Get them to respond to you. Get that kind of you know confirmation on both ends that you both understand what it is that you're looking for so that you can be clear that you have a path forward to meet the goals that you want to meet. Um, it doesn't mean I quit today, but it does give you information. That's the thing people are afraid of is, well, I, I just want to, I don't want to know that it's, that it's not going to get better. I want to hold out hope. It's like hope, hope, give yourself the best chance at hoping for something that's going to happen, you know, um, confront it and say, okay, um, if I can't get past this walkaway number, I can't get the percentage of raise that I need on this, you know, particular timeline, this is no longer the right place for me. It's no longer the right opportunity for me. Maybe that means you need to be promoted, right? What would you have to do to get promoted? Maybe it means you look for another job. Like there's, there's all different things that it could mean for your next step. But I think that again, the, I guess the theme of 
this conversation I keep saying over and over, the more information you have, the better position that you are in to mm. make informed decisions for yourself. Yeah, totally agree with that. Um, and we've been talking a ton about pay, um, but pay isn't the only thing that you can negotiate with your employer. What are some other items that people could consider in the negotiation process? Yeah, there's there's tons of things. It could be more more personal time, more vacation time. It could be a bonus. It could be a bigger bonus. It could be, um, I mean, some places have like a professional development budget. It could also be for something like a leadership opportunity. That's yeah. something you wouldn't, professional development and leadership opportunities, I think are, are, are often overlooked areas that I really encourage people to think about negotiating for because it's something that is such an easy win for you and your manager. Like, yeah, if I get more skills, I, I get to keep them because they're mine now. And I, I learned that, whatever that thing is, uh, but yeah. also I'm bringing this, send me on a whatever project management course. And now I'm going to be a better project manager for our team, uh, right? Give me a leadership opportunity to lead this project or to take on an intern or have another direct report. And now I get to flex my muscles as a leader and learn those skills and I get to take some work off your plate, right? The best email that I ever sent to manager was, I have some more capacity to take on more projects. What could I take off your plate? I mean, she was so thrilled, right? It's, so it's like, th those are, I think, kind of my secret sauce items that I advise people. Yeah, there's always like the, the bonus, the vacation though, whatever, those kind of things that you think about more commonly, but, um, I think thinking ahead to what your next step and your next next step might be, whatever things you're interested in, kind of getting taking on opportunities to dig into those can be like great for you long term and great for your boss now. Yeah, totally agree. And speaking of um, secret sauce, what uh, what's a what's one of your favorite negotiation um, pieces of negotiation advice that you ever received? Oh, I mean, <laughs> so many. Um, but one that I, can I give you two actually? Cause I yeah, two please. My ties for favorites. Yeah, yeah. Um, so one that I learned from Bob, the purchasing guy at my very first job. <laughs> yep. Um, I mean, at my first job was at an oil company and the guy, you know, the purchasing guy for an oil company is, you know, you know, he, he, he knows his stuff. Yeah. I, we were like in the lunch line one day. I remember it was, we were like bashing this vendor and making them give us all his work for free, which in hindsight, a different story. Anyway, he said, just remember, Alex, speech is silver, silence is golden. Yeah. I mean, we had invited this like teeny tiny vendor that had like five employees. They were building something for us, like a website. And we had brought them up to the 42nd floor of the building to the boardroom that I mean, when you picture a boardroom, like from a movie, that's like floor to ceiling windows, a really long table that fits like 30 people that has like giant plush lean back leather chairs. I mean, that was the room. <laughs> And all of us from the company were all on one side and they're like three guys were on the other side. And we were all, I mean, I was silent because I was scared out of my mind. <laughs> I was like 21 years old and knew nothing, but they were silent because they had already learned this and lived this advice, which is speech is silver, silence is golden. If you shut your mouth, you are gonna get something out of that other party. And I know you know this too. We've talked about this together, right? But, but just letting people letting them come to you in a way it, people don't like silence. We call it awkward silence for a reason. So mm -hmm. let them fill it up and, you know, see where that takes you. So that's one piece of advice that I really love. 
My other, my other favorite thing, this is a, an Alex Dickinson special yes. <laughs> um, that I love to share with people is just three little words, just three little words that you need to get more from any situation. Practice it. Your homework listener is to use this today with somebody and write into Justin and tell him how it goes. The phrase is, I would like. I would like a raise this year. I would like a salary of 87000 I would like you to take out the trash. It works <laughs> in all scenarios. <laughs> at home, at work, with your friends. I would like Thai food instead of Chinese food. Mm. I, I mean, li- literally it works. And what I love about it so much is it's right down the middle. It's not I want, I need, I deserve, which is like very can be seen as aggressive, can be seen as needy. I mean, all the, right, there's a lot wrapped up in those words. And it's not, um, I was hoping like maybe possibly we could, um, mm. you know, it, it's not like um, not too wishy-washy, not too aggressive. It's right down the middle. I would like, mm-hmm. I would like you to take out the trash. My husband's like, I, I see you. I know. I'm like, <laughs> I would like you to take out the trash with a smile on my face. He's like, <laughs> fine. So, I mean, uh, it works really in like lots of scenarios. I would like a discount. Mm. I've been waiting here for a really long time and I would like a discount. I mean, there's unlimited possibilities for you to use the phrase I would like. Now, does it mean it's going to work every single time? Not necessarily, you know, especially if you're asking for enough things, then it's probably not going to. But what's so powerful about it is the more you do it, the more habitual it becomes the less strange and scary and to go back to something we talked about earlier the times when you're speaking up for yourself at work generally like i mean probably few and far between in terms of like asking for a raise how often maybe at most twice a year if you're like Mm -hmm. really you know that that person um that's not that many opportunities to practice but i would like you can work into conversation all the time um and that gives you lots of opportunities to practice and really to realize that no, this is another, okay, my third piece of advice. Sorry, I'm full of little nuggets. This I learned from a mentor and it w- like delivered to me at just the right moment of my career that it really stuck and was really, ha- has just really made such an impact on me. If someone says no, no for now. It's no mm. for now. I mm. didn't get a job that I was desperate. I would have cut off my arm to work at this place. I was desperate to get this job and I didn't get this job. And my mentor was like, you just write to the president and tell her it's no for now. You're not, if you're not hiring me now, that's okay, but you're going to hire me eventually. So I'll be, you'll be hearing from me until then. It's mm. no for now. And I, I never did work at that place for a variety of reasons, but, but that advice of the mindset, no for now is so powerful because it just takes the stakes down. It's like, okay, well, it didn't work out now, but that doesn't mean never, you know, yeah. it, it means next time. So mm. just keep at it resilience and grit are definitely like buzzwords these days, but I think for a reason, because it's, you know, it's a hard skill to learn and internalize. It really is. Mm -hmm. But the more ways that you can help yourself, it's funny. I, um, I've been watching a lot of Sesame street with my almost (laughs) two year old. And I've noticed that a theme of every episode of Sesame street, at least the recent ones is actually about resilience. Literally Mm, it's in every skit. Every episode, I'm like, this must be like the theme of Sesame Street this year is resilience because 
And it's so interesting, like that kids as young as two are being taught about this, because I think that even we still need this lesson as adults. So that's fascinating. Alongside Sesame Street, I would love to learn uh, or I'd love to hear if you're intentionally thinking about um, exposing um, your your two daughters to anything in particular. I, I, I. I hate, I hate the fact that there are societal norms out there, but raising two daughters might look different than raising two boys for you. Um, is there anything in particular, you know, over their lifespan here as you're parenting them that, that you're going to focus on making sure you instill within them? Uh, there's like so many ways to answer that question. I guess, <laughs> I guess the thing that I've been thinking about mostly in the, you know, the last like six months or so for myself, which I think think right so that I was laid off from a job more recently that I had you know it was it was a situation for a while there were a lot of feelings and so Mm -hmm. I you know what one thing my background is like I've been in therapy forever since I was 18 Mm -hmm. I mean like in New York literally everyone's in therapy it's like not a thing (laughs) um and I so I worked with a therapist over the summer and we were talking, we were talking about like kind of what I wanted for my job and my life and my career and, you know, all, just kind of, a, you know, a wide ranging conversation. And she, th- I think this exercise worked really well with me because she sprung it on me. So I'll challenge you listener to, to think about your answers in real time to this question that I was asked that I found so provocative, which was, what are your values? Mm-hmm. And I was like, what, like kindness? Like, what do you mean? <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. And she was like, well, like your top three, what are they? And I was like, oh, well, my family is number one, of course. And then I was like, oh, and actually I'm number two. Like, I, mm-hmm. I know that in my heart to be true that like, I don't, I am number two for sure. And, mm-hmm. and I don't mean that like, I'm not number one. I mean, I'm, I'm number two. I'm not like number 10, which I think, you know, there's a wide range of, of, how people feel about themselves. But I knew without a shadow of a doubt that I was number two. And I was like, Ooh, and my third one is, is definitely again, without a shadow of a doubt is my, my closest friends. I'm an only mm. child. My husband's an only child. He has no cousins. Like we, uh, our friends are our chosen family. And, and for me in particular, that's, and I was like, Ooh, she asked me for my top three and my career wasn't in them. Mm. And I was genuinely shocked to find that. But I knew that that was true for me. That's what my answer in that moment of time really was. Mm -hmm. And it was really liberating actually to realize that, that that was true for me because it was like easier to make every decision after that. Cause I knew how things stacked up. I knew what my top priority was and what it wasn't. So I think and the reason I'm telling you this story is because you asked what I would like to impart to my daughters. And I hope that for them, their self, their selves, their individual selves, because I know for sure that I got that from my mom, who's from, who is Chinese, who grew up in Taiwan and came to this country for graduate school, who, you know, grew up in a different culture, really just very different than how I grew up here, how we grew up in America, how my girls are going to grow up. Um, you're not taught to put yourself at the top of the list here. And I know that my mom does put herself at the top of the list. And I knew growing up that there were times that I felt weird about that because that's like not how we typically do it. But I definitely, I got that from her, whether I meant to or not, I did. I'm glad that I did. And I hope that my girls get that from me too, because 
it it really um, no one else. I mean, it goes back to our our bigger picture conversation about negotiating. Uh, maybe that's why it's easy for me to do for myself because I really understand no one is looking out for you but you. Mm. No one is advocating for you if you're not doing it for yourself. There's not a fairy godmother that's going to come and take care of you. You have to do it. So I that I think I think bigger bigger picture is the thing that I hope that they really learn is to love themselves first. Um, Alexandra, in conclusion, where is the best place for people to learn more about you and your company, Ask For It? Yeah, askforit.co is the website. And there's tons of free downloadable resources. There's a big blog archive. You can book time with me one-on-one. You can book time with me to speak at your organization. Um, there's, yeah, there's, I have an online course. You can, you know, take the online course if you want. So there's tons of resources on the website, ways to get in touch with me, um, links to all the socials. Yeah, so askfort.co is definitely the best place. As this conversation comes to a close, um, for that person that you said some things that really resonated with them, but they still can't find the courage to ask for it, what would you say to them? How much are you willing to pay to avoid an awkward conversation? Mm. Literally how much? Actually put a number to it. Are you willing to pay $20,000 for that? What could $20,000 do for your life? Do you have loans that you need to pay off? Are you trying to buy a new car? Do you have children who's the future you want to save for? Do you have a parent or a sibling or extended family member that you want to take care of? I mean, do you have everything that you need and 20 grand would be like no big deal? Well, then would you like take a really baller vacation and bring five (laughs) friends with you? I mean, what, how much are you willing to pay to avoid an awkward conversation? And what would you do with that money if you had it? Mm. That's what I would say. Yeah, I like that piece of advice. Well, Alexandra, it was a pleasure having you in the sandbox. Um, I think you gave a lot of great tangibles. I know all the listeners will really appreciate all the insight you gave. So I will say thanks from them. And uh, thank you for giving me so much of your time as well. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. Welcome back, everybody. Hopefully you enjoyed that conversation with Alexandra. I think she is incredible. I really enjoyed researching her and having that conversation with her. My favorite piece of advice that she gave was actually going against conventional wisdom and being the first one to share a number. She gave the reasoning that if you share that number and anchor to the high side of your salary range, you're more than likely to wind up with your final offer being closer to that number versus their first number, which is probably gonna be on the bottom side of the salary range. If you could go give her some love, I highly encourage you to go check out her website, askforit.co. As a reminder, I put out episodes every other Monday. So if you're on Apple Podcast or Spotify right now, hit that follow button so you don't miss any of my future episodes. And I would love it if you gave me a rating and review that helps out um, spreading the awareness of my show. Also, if you're watching on YouTube right now, hit that subscribe button. And if you enjoyed this episode, I'd love it if you gave it a thumbs up. If you want to know what else I am up to, I am most active on Instagram. Find me at Justin Lee. Peters. All right, everybody, that is it from me. Don't just take it from me. Listen to Alexandra. 
spend the time to build your confidence, and I'll see you next time in the sandbox.